Hi everyone, I'm Scott Wingeter. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. So I'm here in the chair again. It's about a year ago that I was sitting right here at this very spot when uh, a bunch of kids were shot up at a school here in Texas in Uvalde. And uh, here we are behind this microphone again talking about another tragic event where yesterday we had uh, a 28-year-old female go into Covenant Christian School, which is a classical private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. And she ended up shooting and killing six people, three students, um, all I believe were the age of nine, and then three adults as well, to include the uh, headmaster of that school. So uh, at 10, f- 11 a.m., the... Uh, the 28-year-old female, she was a former student, uh, she was armed with uh, two, quote, assault-style weapons. Uh, one was an AR-15 for sure. Uh, she blasted through the glass doors um, to gain access to the church, um, and then she went in and started shooting up kids. Um, so she shot and killed three students and three adults, like I said, before being shot by police. Um, so... Uh, I asked uh, a good friend of mine, um, Nick Langan, uh, to come on the show today. He's a former police officer. Uh, he served for nine years as a, a police officer in both Baltimore City and in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, so he has, a, a, he's bringing to the table here a, a whole bunch of expertise on law enforcement and, and the reactions and, and has all that entire law enforcement background. So Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show today, last minute. Sure, although I wish it was under better circumstances. Indeed. Um, so first thing um, I want to talk about is sort of why this person did this. It, we don't have the details exactly right now. Uh, the police have uh, what they're referring to as her manifesto that um, after the incident yesterday, the FBI and the local Nashville police went to her residence searched a place, found written notes on, you know, why she did it, et cetera. Uh, a detailed map of the school with the entrances and exits noted. And um, so why why do people do this sort of stuff in your estimation? Um, there's generally a couple categories. We have normally what we would think of as terrorism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and this might kind of fall into that depending. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're talking about, uh, say some, something like the nine 11 attacks, but in a school that is sort of one classification usually, then you have at the other end of, of this spectrum of reason, we have, uh, somebody that was potentially bullied or it's a it's a personal matter right they're they're taking out personal revenge and so so you might see a school you might see a sort of domestic violence situation where just other people happen to be the going postal right yeah. um and then you have a whole bunch of stuff kind of in between that which i think most of these active killers in schools and churches fall into now I haven't read the manifesto yet because a lot of the stuff is coming out. Yeah, I don't think the police have have, have released, released it, it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So I know they released the body cam this morning, but it sounds like 
this is a combination of some severe mental health issues, but potentially some religious terrorism, extremism, something. I mean, it seems that this person targeted this school because of the kind of school that it was. Yes. Uh, ideologically. I think so. As well as, um, and we, I know, I'm sure you get into this, but as well as security reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, I, would, I would not be surprised at all, speculating, if the manifesto turned out that this person felt that they were raging, uh, or uh, waging, rather, a, a war and that this was a classical Christian school and that they're going to uh, retaliate for some perceived religious infraction or, or moral slight. You know, I, I 100% agree with that estimation. Um, and again, this is speculation on my part as well. Um, but so this person was suffering from uh, gender dysphoria, mm. um, which, you know, classically is a psychological condition. I know that we are beat over the head every day in our uh you know, 21st century uh, American woke country that we live in, uh, that this is not a mental illness, but, you know, psychology disagrees. Um, And it just so happens, uh, I was looking into it, Tennessee, earlier this month, the the governor of Tennessee signed a bill that banned uh, gender modification of kids in Tennessee. Um, yeah, the um, I know Matt Walsh and the Daily Wire were heavily involved in at least publicizing that as a as a big issue and help push that through. So right, and so it would not surprise me at all. And again, this is speculation. I'll even go as far as to say I believe at this time, without all the details, I'm I'm guessing here, but I'm guessing that that was probably a, a large slice of the pie there as far as uh, this person's motivation to do this. That, you know, if the Christian right is going to, you know, stop kids from transitioning, then I will take out my revenge on the Christian right. And so she attacked this school. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it's a coincidence, like mm-hmm. the, the time frame. Right. So. Yeah. So she, I, I think this is important to note, too. Uh, this has been released by the police uh they found this evidence uh, at her home. She says that she was planning on attacking another school, but that she backed off of that and instead targeted this school, Covenant Christian, because it was a softer target. Um, and so now I want to try to get into that whole realm here. But uh, before we do, I, I, I'd like to mention the police response uh, real quick and then sort of piggyback right into and segue right into that topic. So I think the police response was very fast. Um, this person shot the glass doors at 10, 11 AM, like pretty much on the dot. I think it was, uh, one second before it clicked over to 10, 11, mm. uh, on the security camera, uh, footage. And she had just texted, uh, at nine fifty seven. um, a friend of hers on Instagram, Instagram, she said, quote, one day this will make more sense. I've left behind more than enough evidence, but something bad is about to happen. Um, and then, so she goes in, the police response was 14 minutes from getting the call and arriving and grabbing their weapons and getting into the building, which is very, very, very fast. And 
Um, I'm going to shout out two two of the police officers' names, which the uh, Nashville PD has released. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, particularly the body cam footage. Uh, Officer Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo um, were the were the two officers that actually engaged um, this person and shot and killed her. Um, and uh, they both did an excellent job, as as did everyone else that responded to the call. Um, they did an excellent job. They were very professional, and I think they were very brave. They this is exactly the opposite um, thing that we saw from Uvalde where, you know, you have a bunch of guys huddled around outside the door too afraid to go in. Um, these guys did not act like that at all. They were very brave and they, they handled business. Yeah. And it, it's important to keep in mind, like most people don't think about this, but until we get the nine one one tapes and all that released, their response might actually have been shorter because we have no idea what the initial calls were. So a lot of times with something like this in a public place, somebody might have called and said, uh, someone's in the school. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as the 911 dispatcher getting a call saying, like, it's an active shooter in a school, right? So by the time, it might have been a couple minutes in there before they even figured out, this is not just a disturbance, this is an active killer situation. Yeah. Um, and those guys, and... Nashville's a pretty big city. I drove through it a couple of weeks ago. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the body cam footage. I watched the whole thing from the beginning to end that they released. Uh, I mean, um, I think it was Rex Engelbert that arrives, um, and there's somebody from the school that's out there directing them. They're giving him layout um, of the school. He grabs his AR-15 and locks and loads, and then they go in. Um, and they know it's an active shooting situation. She tells them where the kids are up on the second floor. And, uh, that's where the killer was actually shot and killed by the police was on the second floor. They heard gunshots and it's so sad because they were on the first floor. I mean, they were, they were doing the protocols. They were clearing rooms. They were, you know, making sure that they were safe as they went through that building, uh, making sure that the active shooter didn't slip out. But, they were, by my estimations, about 45 seconds short because they heard gunfire upstairs and they're like, it's a coming from upstairs. And they ran upstairs and they engaged the um, defense. Which is, which is appropriate. So, I mean, I won't go into all the details, mm-hmm. but if you get to, this is a general rule, okay. Mm-hmm. But if you get to a, a scene and you've gotten a call for an active shooter, you're going in. But if you're not hearing gunshots, you're going to take more time to clear rooms because you don't know where the person is Mm -hmm. and a lot of times you know if we examine past situations with some of these shootings the person will shoot a couple people and then might lay low or shoot a couple people and then they're trying to get into a classroom so um, you actually got to see what is generally thought as the appropriate tactic in action because they go in there are no gunshots when they first go in Mm -hmm. they have a general direction that the person tells them to go to and they're checking to make sure. But then, yeah, as soon as they start hearing gunshots, they ditch all that, right? We're, we're losing tactics now. We're not losing tactics, but you know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. sacrificing uh, slow, steady, maybe safer tactics to get into the fight sooner because most of these people that shoot up places either surrender or are shot. Mm-hmm. They don't want an actual confrontation. There are, of course, rare exceptions, but most of these people are not prepared. They're not going into police stations looking for gunfights. Right? Right. They're going to elementary schools. 
Mm-hmm. So it's generally handled very quickly once an appropriate response is, is given. Um, right. Yeah. And that they did a great job, but here's the point that I really want to get to. Um, they, as, I, I don't think they could have done any better than they did from what I can see. Um, and I know you just watched it. Um, I mean, unless they were literally sitting out, like their response once they got there mm-hmm. was as good as can be expected. And I will make one note here. These guys clearly train because him, uh, was it officer Engelbert that yes. had the rifle? His target acquisition is lightning fast, which means this guy probably shoots regularly. He's probably in pretty decent shape mm-hmm. because if you're in horrible shape, your mind goes, he probably practices scenarios, you know, to be able to be in a situation that's that high stress when you know that kids are being shot, turn a corner, immediately identify the problem and address it accurately. Yeah. No, he was fantastic. Is, uh, is a testament to training. This is obviously, I, I would almost bet that he trains a lot on his own because mm-hmm. unfortunately most of these major cities do not properly fund training departments they're they're short-staffed you know so this is just another argument against the whole defund the police Mm -hmm. thing because if you can imagine everybody being trained to that level of decision making and and skill it would certainly mitigate some of these problems and i don't want to sort of don't hear what i'm not saying (laughs) you know uh, the other cops that are there from uh officer engelbert's uh body cam they're nervous and that's that's completely understandable. I don't get that sense from him. He is all business, and he is with it. He is giving directions. He is running that team. Um, you know, he's saying, door on the left, on me, on me, on me. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not hesitating whatsoever. And that's not to say that you can't be in a, you know, a, that the rest of these officers are bad officers or anything like that. They're just nervous because they're in a gunfight and that's understandable. But this guy, he, it does not affect him in his decision-making abilities. And he, you know, in my opinion, goes above and beyond what's expected. And I, I think that goes to what you're saying about the training. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and to their credit, they do what he says. So yes. you have clearly, I don't, I don't know if he was a supervisor. I don't know if he's a, like a veteran, you know I mean? I'm mm-hmm. sure the guy has training, but um, yeah, you know, his communication is outstanding, simple, very short sentences, very calm, but forceful direction. And they do, you know, they work together and they, yeah. Uh, he's coming up behind other officers. He's putting his hand on their shoulder and saying, all right, go, go, go. You know, everything. He just fabulous. Like, the guy deserves a medal for sure. Um, so my point here in all of this, bringing this up first, I wanted to commend the police officers in their, you know, textbook perfection of handling this situation. As you said, I don't think they could have done any better. Um, but it's not good enough and it's not their fault. You know, they handled it as best as they possibly could. And they record time, lightning fast, uh, response time, uh, expert marksmanship, handled business, no doubt saved lives. Six people are still dead. And this is not on the police department. Any police department in America could not have done any better. Uh, I don't, you know, they 
they weren't there physically at the building when this person decided that she was going to do this. And that's what it takes. Correct. And I'm just sick to death over this because I mean, this is somewhat personal for me. Um, you know, many of you know that I'm the headmaster of a private Christian classical school myself. This school is really not any different than my own that, you know, I work at, um, on a weekly basis. And, uh, I was talking yesterday to our chancellor, the, the person who oversees the entire, uh, school itself. Uh, Dr. Johnny Sego, I've had her on the show. Um, she, she knew the headmaster that was killed yesterday personally. Um, and you know, they met up at a classical, um, school convention or something like that. Uh, but she knew all about the school, all about what they do. It's very similar to my own. Like I know traditionally it's public schools that are attacked in this manner, but this happens to be a school that's like, literally this could have happened to me yesterday when I was at school. Um, and it's just sickens me to think about that. Like that, this is hitting really close at home and this is personal to me because of the nature of the whole thing, you know, and it's really causing me and, and the school leadership to really consider and reconsider our safety protocols and our security. And the reality is we can't afford to hire uh, an armed guard to be there at school all day long. That would be cost prohibitive. I can't do it. We don't have the budget. And I think even public schools don't have the budget for that sort of uh, kind of security. So what do you do um, to, to make sure that these schools that we send our kids to, whether it's a private school, whether it's a public school, um, to make sure that they're not soft targets? Because in the manifestos, uh, this is the only part that's been leaked uh, by the police um, regarding this situation, uh, allegedly the, um, the woman who ended up shooting up the school wrote that she had planned on targeting a different school but backed off because it was a harder target. So she ended up targeting this school because it was a soft target. Mm. And that is the pattern Every single time we see one of these for, for the last 20 years since Columbine, it's always soft targets. Like you said, we, people aren't kicking in the doors to police departments, you know, to have a gunfight with the cops. They're hitting elementary schools. What do we do? I mean, there's a couple of basic things. So I'm not in favor of forcing necessarily anybody teachers or anybody to carry a weapon mm -hmm. because I think there's a certain mental capacity that is required to sure you know and as we're commenting this guy's a cop but we're still commenting on how well he did yes um so even professionals we recognize there's a certain it's difficult to you know engage in violence mm -hmm. um however I think that for sure we should allow people uh, I'm I'm a big advocate of putting to, putting together some kind of uh, statewide maybe training protocol for for teachers some sort of course that would cover a lot of decision making some some live range training like to treat it almost in addition uh, maybe an additional certification 
uh, I'm still a Pennsylvania resident, so I'm not sure how Texas handles security, but I'd imagine it's the same, right? Like you have different levels of security licensing you can get in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So you can be like an armed guard or um, there's like a different level for executive protection, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine you could put together something very similar for um, educational security or teacher response. And I'm always kind of confused personally when I hear people argue, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that should have to happen. Yeah. Well, I don't think that should have to happen either, but Mm -hmm. like the reality is the reality, right? Like, you know, I, I don't, uh, when this stuff happens, you just, you have to respond. You're going to respond with what you have. And I mean, we don't know all the details. It wouldn't surprise me at all because this is often the case in these in these school shootings. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the headmaster or one of the other adults or teachers that died was trying to stop the person because mm-hmm. that's usually the pattern. But they're they're not equipped to handle somebody coming in, you know, with a, with weapons with an, in a violent assault. So they still try to do what they can because they obviously feel a sense of responsibility. They you know, but. They're not equipped, and I mean, the outcome is... Well, I hope, speaking of laws, I hope the Tennessee legislature and the governor takes note of this particular situation, because I looked it up in Tennessee. Like, even if it's a private school, you cannot have concealed carry uh, adults having a gun on that school. It's against the law. It's a felony. So, fortunately, that is not the case here in Texas. Right. You know... Um, I'm not going to give away the security protocols that I've in placed in my school, but mm. I can tell you that personally, I wrote literally the, the policy on whether or not an adult can conceal carry on my campus. Um, and I have that policy, uh, written out and that's known to the people that are involved in the school. Um, and so we, we, we've done everything I can in my estimation, to make ourselves not a soft target. But people out in the public don't know that. It's not like I'm, I mean, I guess I'm talking about it a little bit here, but, you know, we don't publish that on our website. Like, we're not a soft target. Because that's, I think, also inviting maybe a challenge. Uh, What would your your opinion on that be? Should a school like mine say, we are not a soft target on our website? No, and here's why. Um, It's kind of like, I'm all for concealed carry. I'm really only for open carry if you have no other option. Obviously, if you're a uniformed professional Mm -hmm. or if it's a specific circumstance like hunting, you know, you Mm -hmm. got a sidearm for hunting. I think that it's it's your it might be your legal right, but I think it's tactically stupid. Mm -hmm. Right. If I'm standing there in my as an off duty cop in my freaking boots and my, you know, 511 shirt with my gun and a tactical holster clearly visible. And I happen to be at a place where some guy comes in to rob the place or some guy comes in to shoot up the school and I'm there. I am going to be the first person to be shot, right? Like, (laughs) that's I I am inviting, um, you know, you don't have a lot of options. You don't have a lot of advantages, I should say, if you have to respond to an emergency situation like this. And, you know, you happen to be at the location. One of the few advantages you have is discretion, the surprise, surprise right? you know, being anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no, I wouldn't. And if this person that shot up this school in Tennessee is saying she clearly staked out 
the places. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you need to advertise that because I bet you that the school that she didn't go shoot up didn't advertise it. She probably went, right? Do, um, do they leave any doors open? Mm-hmm. Do they have adults moving around and paying attention? Do they have the kids in ordered lines or whatever in and out of recess, right? Is it just like a gaggle of, of animals running in and out of the school mm-hmm. or are they like filing in and, and they're act- the teachers are actually accounting for them? All that little stuff adds up to give a sense that these people are responsible. They're paying attention, right? Like, and that's, I would, I would bet you now they could have an armed guard there too. I don't know anything about the school that she didn't shoot up, mm-hmm. but a lot of times uh, it's kind of like you lock your home doors and people can still kick open the door. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of criminals are, are opportunistic. This is no different. You go over here and you're like, well, these guys, they lock their doors, they close their doors. Everything seems to run on schedule. They're paying attention. These guys over here leave their doors open. They're not really paying attention. Everything's lackadaisical. It doesn't even matter exactly that there's no security at either school. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is obviously going to be easier. Right. Right. Like, yeah. And, and the scary thing is though, I mean, yes, lock the doors, but like, I'm, I'm sure that they had locked doors here. Well, yeah, because she, she shot, shot them through. Them. Sure. You know, and that's the, that's the other thing is like if, if, if somebody's coming to this school to get, you know, take out their revenge or whatever, and they want to get in, they're going to get in. And that's another. Yes. But when was the last time that a bunch of school kids died in a school fire? I. Decades. Yeah. It's been decades and decades. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the exact year, but at some point, we started building the schools with flame retardant materials. They organized fire drills. Mm-hmm. We got smoke detectors. Mm-hmm. You got fire alarms. I don't think there has been a widespread disaster with a school fire for, I, I, I would guess, like 30, 40 years at least. Are you suggesting bulletproof glass at doors, things like that? I'm just saying. They, they saw the problem, and they took immediate steps about the school to rectify the problem. Mm. Where for some reason, that is not... Whenever something like this happens, you got people that are like, ban all guns, of course. Mm-hmm. And then you got people that are like, arm everybody. And I'm not really for either of those things. I'm just saying, when you look at how they handled fires, they addressed the immediate problems. I'm sure that's still possible that a kid could die in a school fire under the right circumstances because you can't prevent every single thing from happening. Sure. But likewise, I think a lot of this stuff could be handled without even, before we even get to the issue of armed security, whatever. I think Mm -hmm. you could decrease a lot of issues. Uh, So maybe bulletproof glass. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I know your situation is a little bit different because your school is smaller. And so budget is, is a serious concern and budget seems to always be a concern for schools. But also I would say, yeah, but then how important is it to this organization or this organization, right? Mm-hmm. How important is it to the local jurisdiction to actually t- protect their students if they're not willing to spend? Like, I'm sure there's some taxpayer dollars somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I want to pivot here to what you just said. Um, you know, there's always people that are going to be like ban all guns. And of course, you know, our doddering fool of a president came out yesterday and that was his first response. He's like, without any details, he's like, this person came in with an AK 47. No, no, 
No, Joe, it wasn't an AK-47. Uh, it looked like she had an AR-15, and I couldn't even identify the secondary long gun that she had. Yeah. And then she had a Smith & Wesson M&P. Okay. Um, banning guns, you know, oh, we need to ban all guns now because, you know, this crazy person got a hold of guns and went and shot up the school. Now, that's stupid. Um, I'm just going to touch base and hit this point real fast, and then we'll move on. It's the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. So unless you amend the Constitution to repeal the Second Amendment, shut the hell up, because it's not going to happen. To me, it's 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 just goofy. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point in history have we successfully completely eradicated criminal behavior by banning things? I mean, prohibition wasn't successful. The war on drugs has been, you know, just a just a raving success. Yes. <laughs> like, um, and I'm not saying that you should legalize things because people are breaking the law. I'm just saying. It's just a, it's it's a it's a very ideological point without any forethought, and I just I just ignore that argument. Right, it's it's ridiculous, and you know, let alone like, here's the thing: this woman was coming in yesterday to that school to murder people. She was violating their right to life, and as a human being, like regardless of what country you live in, regardless of what time period you live in. You have a right to life, which then it follows logically that you have a right to defend your life uh, with violence if necessary. So the whole idea, that's the whole idea of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is there to protect your rights as an individual person. So moving on. The next thing that everybody on the left is going to start screaming is we have a mental health crisis. We have a mental health crisis and we need to address this and blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to get up on my soapbox here for a second, so I hope you don't mind. But don't sit here and try to claim the moral high ground on this. Like, you need to shut your mouth if if that's what you're going to say. Because we have a whole entire society right now that is, you know, everybody on the left is cramming down everybody's throat this idea that it's okay to have gender dysphoria and that trans people have rights blah 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 enough all right here i have a person that was very clearly crazy uh yesterday because she went around trying to murder people that suffered from transgenderism that suffered from gender dysphoria um and as i said i'm going to stick with this until proven otherwise I really think that that was probably the motivating factor was that she felt entitled to go out and commit violence against people because she didn't like the freaking law that the Tennessee governor just signed into uh, law this month banning transgenderism on children. So I want us to follow this logic here. It's not okay that, you know, the Tennessee state government is going to ban gender modification of children and I'm mad about that so I'm going to go ahead and, and go into a school and shoot children what what are you talking about this person is crazy so don't sit here and be like oh we need to address the mental health crisis well at the very same time these people on the left are arguing that transgenderism and gender dysphoria is not in fact a mental illness when it very clearly is Thoughts? 
yeah, I mean, okay. If you take a step back and you look at it, and I know we had to wrap up too. So if you take a step back and you look at it physically, if you, well, this is a personal example. You know this. Mm-hmm. I had uh, a knee injury from work for quite some time where the knee would just come out of socket. Mm-hmm. We end up on the Appalachian Trail. The knee keeps coming out of socket. It leads to ankle problems, right? Mm-hmm. And also then hip problems because the joint is out of whack. Mental health is no different. If somebody thinks that they're the wrong gender, or really sex is what they mean, right? If somebody thinks that they're the opposite sex, how can that be an isolated thing in and of itself? There's no other problems that are going to come from that, right? When we know, obviously, that's not true. Suicidality is very high with people that suffer from this before and after surgery, depression, because I can't imagine thinking that you like God made a mistake as it were, or, you know, however you want to look at it. Right. So depression, I feel like everybody except for me has crippling anxiety nowadays Mm -hmm. in modern society. (laughs) So you, you look at this stuff and you're encouraging, you're encouraging this joint instability in my example. And then you're shocked that all these other physical problems, you know, mm-hmm. uh, follow from that. And you or I, and, and this is always the example I give from this, if I'm like, hey, you're a woman, you just be like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if somebody accidentally says to me when I'm out at a restaurant, here you go, ma'am, I'm sorry, sir. Like, that doesn't ruin my whole day. Right? right? I'd probably laugh about it, yeah. right? Like, the fact that these people have such a, that struggle with these issues have such a fragile view of themselves mm-hmm. that they consider that violence should be all that you need to know that there's something not right here. Right. And, and I feel a, a deep sense of empathy for anybody that suffers um, from that. I was, a lot of my time, both in Baltimore and Lancaster, ended up, I did some, some training with talking to people with mental health. I got a reputation for, for responding um, and helping out with that stuff as far as like um, essentially hostage negotiations. Not that I ever negotiated a hostage situation. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like crisis response to people with mental health. I have a lot of experience dealing with I have a great sense actually of empathy for people whose minds aren't right. But that doesn't mean that you encourage that person. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you don't have to lie to somebody. Right. To help them. In fact, you usually shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. That, was my, uh, that was my whole mantra as an interrogation analyst right. as well. Right. So, you know, you can be empathetic to the plight of these people or somebody suffering from any mental health thing without encouraging them, right? Like, we wouldn't tell somebody that was clinically depressed. That's great. Keep being depressed. Right. But that's what we're doing, you know. Oh, you God think, made you that way. Right. Or nature no, made you that way. Right. You know, there <laughs> might be a variety of approaches to deal with that problem, but none of them would be encouraging the problem to persist and become a permanent aspect of your life. Right. Well, um, now that we've committed hate speech in Canada, I think uh, our job here is done. Uh, there's so much more that we could talk about, but uh, time just doesn't allow it. Um, and I'm sure, unfortunately, probably... If I had to hedge bets here, this is not the last time that we'll have to talk about this um, unless people start doing the things that we discussed, hardening the schools, putting in place uh, security protocols and security measures, arming people that are qualified to have 
that weapon and are prepared to use it on these school campuses. And until that happens, I think that we'll probably be behind this microphone here again talking about these issues. Probably. Well, Nick, I want to uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know it was last minute, uh, but, uh, you know, I think it was a worthwhile conversation. So thank you. Yeah. No, uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Impolite Company, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.